Uh, the title of tonight's message is Nobody's Perfect. Nobody's perfect. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, th- this is a statement uh, uh, that uh, I-, I said growing up, and, and I'll-, I'll share a story about that in just a second. But 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It says this. Finally, brothers, goodbye. The, the parting thoughts, right? Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The, the phrase, obviously, that I want to focus on is aim for perfection. Um, there was a time when, when I said this. I remember that I was about 10 or 11 years old. I remember driving. We were in some silver or gray car. I was in the back seat, and my dad was talking to me about something. I don't remember the beginning part of the conversation, but I remember saying to my father, well, dad, nobody's perfect. Um, at, let's just say I was 11. There was never a point that the words, nobody's perfect, came out of my mouth again to my father. I still remember the conversation. Kind of like one of those where he's like, dad, just drive, right? Because there was so much of... Uh, looking back at me and yelling at me and saying that's the most ridiculous statement that you can ever make and you'll never make it again in this household. And I was like, well, I guess I found a hot button item for my dad there because this is now 30 years later and I can still remember the tongue lashing that my father gave me because I used this phrase. He said, so what? You're not going to try to please the Lord? Is that what you're telling me? Dad, I was just trying to make an excuse because... I messed up and I knew I messed up and I just wasn't mature enough to say that I messed up. (laughs) I I was trying to do something. Here's some other phrases that come up. Maybe you've heard some of these. We're all human. We're all just sinners saved by grace. grace. (laughs) I mean, after all, everyone sins. We are not perfect. We are just Forgiven. forgiven. Some of you know. Hey, look, brother, we're just all flawed, right? Um, What I love about what the Lord's doing in our midst is all year, all year, we're in September, we're in the ninth month, halfway through the ninth month almost, and what God has been telling us all year is, here's the standard, everyone, come up to the standard. Here's the standard. Here's the plumb line. It's plumb sum. Here's what it's supposed to be. Here's where we're going. Over and over and over again. We're, we're not a church that typically does sermon series, but basically our whole year has been, there is a standard and we all have to come up to the standard. That's, you basically got nine months of the same... We've been dancing around the same idea. So you know what that means? That means we haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> because the Lord keeps encouraging us to go back to this idea. Um, on one end... When, you, when you're talking about nobody's perfect, that's just an excuse for us not to really shoot prefer, for perfection, is it not? Yeah. Hey, look, nobody's perfect. What does that mean? It means, look, I know that I messed up, and I have no real intention of doing much any better than this. We have this continuum 
maybe that we have of legalism, and maybe on the other end, we have hyper-grace. You have on one end where we're going to say, and we're going to go after things in such a way, we're going to tear down, we're going to do whatever it takes. This one, it doesn't really matter what you do, because, hey, brother, it was all taken care of before. Our sermons, even more recently than just this year, Grapes of Wrath. How many of you listened, have listened to Grapes of Wrath since the Sunday that, that it was given? Okay. I'm going to encourage you. If you haven't, that was a very small percentage. I was actually expecting it to be more. Let me encourage you to go back. You can look at an LCM Sermons app. You can look on our website. You can look on our LCMF app that we have. There's a lot of ways that you can get it. Incredible message. Message after that. Two Slaves and a Son from Brent Vincent last Wednesday night. Fantastic word, Brent. This past Sunday we had, what, basic simplification. Guys, what we're still fighting is this uh, onslaught. I'm sure that we will hear all kind of... uh, um, We will. I haven't yet gotten them, but we're going to get emails, we're going to get texts, we're going to get phone calls accusing people when they hear our sermons about how unbalanced these things are. We're not trying to be balanced. We're trying to give you the word of the Lord for this group of people. The balance can come in the fact that you hear it another way 365 days a year, so what we're trying to do is balance you out with what the word of God says in its entirety. Amen? What we have, we... We're somewhere, what we try to do in our day in society is we try to pick one of these or the other. And actually, I'm finding probably less and less here. It's all, we're all kind of shifting over down in this direction. What we're trying to do is say, um, we're going to find out what the truth of God's word is, and that is going to be our standard. I reject this entirely. I'm not going to tell you tonight where we need to fall on a continuum, or we're going to try to pick one side or the other. I'm going to say, I reject it entirely. That is not at all what we're going to go for. We're going to find out what God's Word has to say about this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 43. Matthew 5, 43. It says this. Well... You have heard that it was said, love your enemies, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you want to reflect God's reality, we not only love our neighbor, but we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How are you doing on that? How, how's it going this week for you? Anybody persecute you this week? Any? Social workers try to make it difficult for your church family to come and visit babies in the hospital? How are you doing? Are you praying? Are you praying for those who are persecuting you? Verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. Wait a minute, that's not very fair. Sure it is, because our God is righteous. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm hearing 
some, uh, some teachings from some of our disciples and from Pastor Eric that you guys are going to get. A, I'm, I'm hearing that the rain coming and producing thorns. I can't wait to, to hear more about that from upcoming sermons. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if I'm saying as an 11-year-old, foolish child, right? Nobody's perfect. And the Bible says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've got a problem. We've got a problem that we all can know, and sometimes, whether we've said these words or not, this is what we thought, right? Uh, this is, these, these are Jesus' words. This is Jesus' words to us, to mankind. Be perfect, therefore. Daniel, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Brent, be perfect. And not just some perfect as a random word, and lest you can redefine it the way that you want, it gives the qualifier. As your heavenly Father is perfect. If that's not setting a standard, I don't know what is. If that's not putting it out there for us, <laughs> if you're getting a little nervous right now, because really what we're trying to do is, I'm trying to make you nervous. Amen. <laughs> I hope that if you have not yet wrestled with this, you're going to wrestle with this thought. Because this is the standard. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's take a look at what that word is. This is the Greek um, 5046. The word is teleos. It obviously means the word perfect, because that's the word we're defining. It basically means the, oops, the end goal. This is what we are shooting at, completion. We understand those words. This is the end goal. This is the final destination of what we're supposed to be shooting for. This is the bullseye that we're going after. Take a look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. In context here, this is the rich young ruler. Verse 21, Jesus answers, If you want to be perfect... Did you know that was in there? If you want to be perfect, go, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, follow me. He's giving this man a very clear end goal of what he's supposed to be shooting for. You're talking to me about all the things you've done, all the, all the achievements that you've made. Jesus said, you really want to be perfect? You really want to understand what this is about? Go sell everything you have. You're not nearly as perfect as what you think you are. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. How many times does Jesus do that in our lives? <laughs> we're coming to Him, we have something, we're bringing something, and God, he, he speaks right into the area that we're going, oh, I still had something that I was holding on to. I don't know if you guys felt it in the worship, that's what I was, that was my sense tonight. There are things that we hold on to, there are things that we grasp, and the truth is, is they either bind us or they keep us from being able to receive what God has for us.
You give, a, you give something to a child, right? And what do they do? They, they'll clench a toy. They clench it. <laughs> no, what you don't understand is I have something better for you. Give me that. That's one of the first things that a young child learns how to say. Well, they learn how to say no. At least our kids did. No. Mine. 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 Can't hardly say anything else, but they can say mine. Can't understand any other word. They're just jibber-jabbering, and they go, mine. <laughs> Woo. Whoa. That is within the heart of human beings. That's mine. Hey, Lord, I know that I said that I have nothing that I'm going to hold on to. I'm going to climb this mountain with my hands wide open. What a great song. Really? Are you going to really do that? Is that an easy thing to do or not? That is the most ridiculously hard thing. Lord, I'm literally going to give you everything. I'm going to give you my opinions. I don't have any opinions anymore, folks. You know why? Let me, let me rephrase that. I'm not supposed to have any opinions anymore. I just want to think what the Lord thinks. Lord, I'll give you my opinions. I'll give you my desires. I'll give you the trajectory of my life. I'll give you the things that I, that I want to happen in my life. I'm giving them all to you. And you know what? We have to continue to give them all to Him because we have a tendency. I give it to you, Lord. I give it. I mean, really, Lord, I'm just going to give it to you. Mine. But it's mine. Isn't it, isn't it funny what we get attached to? What may be easy for Brent to give up because he's a godly man. It may be the thing that I have a death grip on. It may not mean a thing to you, but to me, maybe it makes all the difference in the world. I, you know, I can live with, without having this or this, but really having comfort in this area of my life. Having security in this way, to me, makes all the difference in the world. I don't want to have a mind type of mentality... It's just, this is so important to us that we not end up being like the rich young ruler. Amen. We can go back earlier and you can read and see the things that he did well. Lord, I've kept all of your words. From a child, I've done all these great things. Jesus looked at him and said, I see that your heart, you, you have a death grip on this, and so I'm telling you, let go of it. And what happens? He could not let go of it. I've heard it said that in, in, in certain places in Africa, when you're trying to catch certain types of monkeys, you cut a hole in a box. And you put an object that's just too big to fit through the hole. And you put a nice tiny hole there where they could just barely get their hand down in it. You know what they do? Then they'll grab it. And they'll go crazy. They will jump around and scream. And they'll get trapped because they just won't let go. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I, I've resembled that far too often in my life. <laughs> I resent that remark. No, I actually resemble that remark. What is it that you're holding on to tonight? I'm not asking if you're holding on to something. I am asking you the direct question. What are you holding on to? God's got a lot more for you. He's got a lot of different things for you. And you're literally trapped by your own desire. <laughs> if the monkey would just let go of the object that they've become fascinated with, they're free. 
Is it your expectations? What you expected your life to look like? I can assure you... (laughs) So, my wife's birthday was last week. We're driving around. I said, babe... I, I know, you know, could we have ever imagined at her youthful age, full of beauty and wisdom, hey, babe, at this point in our life, we're making less money than we've ever made. We're, we're living in, in our friend's home, which is such an incredible blessing. We've got old busted up vehicles. And I looked at it and I was like, you're welcome, babe. <laughs> And I meant it. That is success. Because you know what? The Lord has had it spent a long time. I'm embarrassed sometimes to actually, when I think about how long it was, how long it's been for him to unwrench certain things in my life. I can now be at a point where I'm like, God, any accomplishments that I had, I can say, I just count them as dumb. I don't want to hold on to something that I've, that's caught my eye, that's shiny, that's new. And it keep me from going forward in what God has for me. At this point, it's just been too, he's been too good to me for me to want to do that. But you know what I also know? There are probably areas in my life that, that I have yet to comprehend that he's trying to reveal to me maybe that I'm just not aware enough and I'm praying, Lord, would you reveal those things to me? God, would you show me? If I'm holding on to anything but you, during tonight's worship service, that's where I was. I don't know where you were. Lord, it's easy to sing a song, but you, it matters to you if I'm actually holding on to things. If I'm trying to climb a mountain and I've got, I've got just the extra thing in my back pocket, just, just in case, just in case this thing doesn't work out, I've got just a little bit in reserve that I'm not giving you yet. He will not have it. He will not have it in any of our lives. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. What are we holding on to? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Say there when you're there. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, everybody say all, All. reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's the next word? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That word there, mature, is... 5046, teleos, until we can all become perfect. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and let's start in verse 12. It says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, 
or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I wish I could express to you, I wish I had the words tonight to tell you what this passage has been doing in me today. I press on. How easily are we distracted? How easily do we find it where pressing on is just too much for us? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Everybody say, forgetting what is behind. For some of us, you need to forget the difficulties that were behind. For some of us, you need to move past the failures that were behind. For some of us, you need to move past the successes that you had. You need to move past those things of where you were and what you've done and what you've accomplished. We're going to forget everything that's behind us, whether good or bad. You know why? Because we can't live there. That's not the end goal. That's something that happened before. So we've got to forget what is behind us and strain toward what is ahead. We just got done with the Olympics. I enjoy watching some of the athletic competitions. I do. I love... I love to see people straining to do things. They've spent their whole life. And sometimes it's the most depressing thing ever because they have worked for the last 10 years of their life and they lose. The people who are winning and falter right near the end and come in and don't meddle and, and they had it all set out before them. Come on, preach, Titus. Do it. This is the what, 17th? 17th day of... Okay. Pastor Eric wasn't up here, so I thought I'd give you the Titus update. (laughs) Straining toward what is ahead. Sometimes we get busy straining, but we're not straining for what's ahead. We get distracted and we we take on more than what we're supposed to. Forgetting what is behind. Everybody say, forget what's behind. behind. Strain toward what's ahead. Everybody say, strain toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. (laughs) I love that. You can be wrong if you'd like. Because God will make it clear to you. Just keep pressing in. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Are, are, are Are you catching this? Let's live up to what Christ has already given to us. He gave it to us in advance. Now we need to live up to it. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now you need to live full of life and godliness. You know, as I was looking at this, um, I found this word in the Hebrew. It's Hebrew 8003. It's the word Salem. And this word is tra- translated uh, as perfect. Oftentimes it could be wholehearted. Let's just do a quick little uh, Paleo Hebrew. So we've got a Shin, we've got a Lamed, and we've got a Mim. Okay? So we have sharp. Or press, 
The Lamed is to teach. The yoke, or way of life, or to bind. And Mem is mighty, chaos, or blood. Many of you are now very, very familiar with these, I know, but I want to make sure, if we're all supposed to be reaching maturity, we want to make sure that we can all do this. So for this, I want to, I want to present this word to you as this, that we're going to press in to bind our lives to the blood. We're going to, is, is that not what we read in Philippians? We're going to press in. There is a pressing. The perfection that we're talking about tonight is dealing with us pressing into the things of God. That we're going to move forward, that we're going to strain forward with everything that is within us. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 13. Deuteronomy 25.13 says this. <laughs> it's fun when you start reading things. And at first this may not seem to fit, but I promise you this fits. Do not have two different weights in your bag. One heavy and one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house. One large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land your Lord God is giving you. Does, does that strike anyone as a little bit strange? Is, it, is that where you thought this was going? Don't have two different standards of weight or measures in your house. Why? So that you may live long in the land that God has given you. Hey, what? These are some of those verses that, like, uh, when it's talking about how to treat a bird that falls from a nest. Why? So that God's, so that it will be well with you and you may live a long life. Wait, what? You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. Okay, so we've got, we've got here, we've got an issue with having two different standards. It matters to God if you have two different standards. Two different standards, like saying that nobody's perfect. The reason that nobody's perfect is a heretical teaching is because it is encouraging you to have two different standards and you don't realize it. It's a sneaky, it's a sly thing. Well, of course nobody's perfect. That sounds reasonable. I'll take that in and I'll, I'll make that a part of my life. Well, nobody's perfect. You are creating two different standards within your own life and God is not pleased with it. What kind of, what, what, what do you mean? Um... What about a standard for pastors and a standard for everyone else? Do you have that? Do you expect something different out of Brent Vincent than you do out of Nolan Hewitt? 
Do you have a different expectation there? Because if you do, then you've slipped into a two standard, a double standard. <laughs> what about when you're at church versus home? We could go on and on with this idea, having two different standards. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful with having two different standards. That means, what this means is, there is a single standard. It's the standard that pastors should be living up to, and it is the standard that everyone in this church should be living up to. It's not just Pastor Matt that should be able to recall a verse and quote it to you when you need it. Our expectation is that everyone in the room can do that. Our expectation is that if you're youth, if you are under 18 in this place, you know what our expectation is? Is that you have the same standard of holiness that we have as pastors. Amen. Because we love you and care about you, we can't say, oh, well, I mean, it's just Gabe Sutherland. <laughs> just checking on either side, that's all. You cannot have two standards. There can't be a standard for the husband and a different standard for the wife. It's okay. Well, my husband knows the Scripture, but no, there's not a different standard here, folks. There's not a different standard for those who have been in the body of Christ longer than shorter. There is only one standard. You know what the problem with this nobody's perfect idea is that we're really... Uh, yeah, but pastor, I mean, come in, come on. I mean, come on, look, I can, I can really try very hard at this thing. But we all know that we're going to mess up, right? Huh. For some of this, maybe it comes down to something, a margin for error. Um, if you are a professional baseball player, if you are one of the top professional baseball players in the world, do you know what you're going to do? You are going to fail seven out of ten times. If you're batting 300, you only hit it three out of ten times, you're actually doing pretty good. I don't think, there's been very few people, maybe, uh, I can't remember right now, maybe only one or two ever that have hit four out of every ten times for a whole season. Four out of every ten. Um, so, yeah, we don't want to have that kind of margin for error. That's not the kind of church we are. Um, what if you're a jet pilot? Uh, make it, make, let's make it a, uh, a commercial airline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, how, what kind of margin for error do you want to have on landing a plane? <laughs> I want them landing that thing 100% of the time. What if you're a brain surgeon? What's your margin for error there? Do, do you know that there are actual procedures in, in medicine now? If you go in, they will take a Sharpie marker and mark on your body. This one. <laughs> Is that true or not? We've got a lot of folks who work in medicine. Dear friends, why would they have to do that? 
Oops. We were supposed to amputate the other arm. Oops. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. Nobody's perfect. Sorry. We can laugh about it because that's someone else, right? What is your margin for error in your own life? You know what people are saying when they're saying this is that we expect to sin, we're actually planning on it. I'm planning on sinning, and the truth is, most people who say this are planning on sinning in a particular area that they know that they're going to sin in because they've sinned in it before and they've gotten the idea that, well, it's just inevitable. We're just going to sin because it's inevitable. Because, hey, after all, nobody's perfect. You know what our attitude should be? There will not ever be a time that I will sin. You know why? Because I'm going to battle this and I have the God of all creation who lives inside of me and I will be victorious. Amen. That is our attitude. And if I fail... It's not because I was planning on failing. It's because I walked away from the Lord. I got in my own strength and I failed. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn back to the Lord. I'm going to go back and get in His strength and I will be victorious from here on out. Amen. If you're planning on sinning, can there possibly be an excuse for you? <laughs> How can you be forgiven of something that you are planning on doing? If you have a problem with anger and it rises up and you are trying to battle and you fail, you did not rely on the Lord's strength, you walked away from Him and you failed. That's, a diff, that's one thing. Versus saying, you know what I'm going to do? Tomorrow, I'm going to walk up to JJ and I'm going to give JJ a piece of my mind. I'm planning on sinning. That's what this breeds. If you are planning on failing, you don't yet understand this. Amen. I do not plan on failing. Amen. Amen. I'm going to stand before you as a righteous man. You know what? What's more than that? I'm going to lead my family in righteousness. You know, what's, you know what's more than that? I'm going to lead, I'm going to help to my kids to lead their kids in righteousness. And Amen. anyone else who comes under my household will learn how to do this. We are not planning on failing. That's what the difference is between saying... Eh, nobody's perfect if you cannot plan on failing. Does that, does that sound strange? I know we all want to say amen, and it's so different for some of us because we've lowered our expectation. We have a, a, a gigantic margin for error. <laughs> I mean, I, I got close, didn't I? Like hand grenades and horseshoes, I got close. No, there is a righteous standard that we all must live up to. And when I am overcome, because I didn't fully rely on His strength, I cannot lose if I am walking in His strength. That's right. You cannot lose. Do you know why? Because if you lose and you're in His strength, you know what you're saying is? Whatever you lost to is stronger than Him. That's not possible. Your addiction is not stronger than the Lord. So you know what's happening is when you're sinning, you're choosing to sin. That's right. And it's still unacceptable. It will always be unacceptable because we don't want to have any margin for error. That's right. Our goal is that we will fight and we will overcome.
that's what it's talking about when we're supposed to press in to the yoke or binding to the blood. We've got to continue to press in. You've got to keep going at it. I don't care if you get tired. I don't care if you've had a long day. I don't care. Because he doesn't care. Is his strength not enough for you when you've had a bad day? Is his strength not enough for you when they didn't tell you the right thing at work? Is his strength not enough for you to overcome your issues, but it's, over, it's strong enough to overcome someone else's? That can't be where it is. We cannot have two standards. <laughs> it's almost like this. This idea of nobody's perfect breeds this. Uh, you know, I don't have to be the fastest antelope. I just need to... Uh, I just not be the slowest. See, Justin, he, he's, he's feeling me here. All I have to do is be the, the, the second slowest one here, and I'll be fine. Because that line will come up, and he'll get the slowest guy. <laughs> what about tomorrow? What, what you going to do then? If, our st- if, our, if we're shooting for this nobody's perfect thing, I don't have to be able to beat everybody in the room. I just got to be able to be a little bit faster than that guy. Great. Now he's picked off. Now what? Now what are you going to do about this? That's why our standard has to be the center of the bullseye of God's will. It has to be a righteous standard that we have to rise up to. Because if not, you're just saying it's a matter of time. That is this mentality. I know it's, I know it's a, the antelope and the lion, right? This is this mentality. Well, I'm not the fastest, so I guess it's okay. It just can't be the slowest. You're going to be the slowest soon enough because they're all going to get picked off until they get to you. Hmm. Turn to First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12. Let's look in verse 38. has just listed all the men who have joined David. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined. Everybody say fully determined. determined. To make David king over Israel. You know what it says in, in other translations, King James translation? It says, they came to Hebron with perfect hearts. Fully determined to make David king over Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind. <laughs> Throughout the Bible, without getting off into a, a, a whole thought on unity, without, on a whole teaching on unity, look what happens. If we're all fully devoted, if we're all of one mind, what happens? You begin to operate in perfect shalom with the Lord and you can do exactly what the Lord is doing. You can say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here because we are ready for you to move in our midst. Turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Verse 13. says this, Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. 
So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. We, we know this, and there are many other places that it mentions this about Caleb. But this idea of being wholehearted. Look, guys, how, how is it that we're going to be perfect? If nobody's perfect, and yet the Word instructs us to be perfect, if this mentality says that, that how, look, we can't do it anyway, what does the Word actually say for us to do, though? Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 28. Let's go back to verse 24. Colossians 1, 24. It says this, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of His mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, What is the next phrase? So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I don't know if you have a title in your Bible of this section. In mine it says Paul's labor for the church. There are many in here who are called to the fivefold ministry. This is your job as a fivefold minister. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That is the goal. We must present everyone perfect. But how do we do that? What what is this going to look like? Look at verse 29. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. Um, It's what strength are you going to tap into here? Are you going to try to do this on your own? What does a, a drive for perfection in your own strength look like? It's going, to re, it's going to produce failure in your life. It's going to produce destruction. It's going to produce discouragement. Why? Because you can't get there. Isn't it amazing? It, it, I've always been flabbergasted. The, the people who are, are models, professional models, beautiful Physically beautiful in every way. And you know what most of them have a trouble with? Eating disorders. You would think that the most beautiful people, I mean, clearly I would know a lot about this. I'm just kidding. Right? They have the biggest problem with these things. Why? Because there is a drive for perfection that they can't reach. There's a drive for, for an image, for a, a thought process. All these people that are going for it. What I'm, I'm not saying for you to do is to rely on your own strength. I'm saying, to this end I labor, struggling with all of whose energy? His energy. That's a completely different thing. That's why I can say before you and say, I will be victorious in my walk with the Lord. Amen. 
you can be victorious in your walk with the Lord. I'm not going to sit here and give you room to say, no, it's okay. 90% is okay. Well, I mean, you're close to 90%, so it's 80%. It's 88%. I was one of those teachers. Mr. Sutherland, can I get bonus? No! Why not? Because you didn't work hard the first time. Well, but I gotta, I just need bonus because I'm a, my favorite was, uh, let's say you're on a 10 point scale. They got an 89.4. 89.4. So what they want you to do is give them enough points so you can round up to 80, 89.5 so that you will round up to the next 90 so you get the A instead of the B. What their little brains cannot comprehend was, you're not just asking me to give you a little bit here. I have to give you a lot. You're, you're six-tenths of a point away. That's a long way away from the, from the, from the line. <laughs> What's my point? If you don't hold to the standard, then how much of a curve do you need to be graded on? How easy is it, is it for us to look to, maybe I look to Judah instead of looking to Christ. Maybe I feel better about myself if I look towards Judah. Maybe I don't, but I mean, you know. But Actually, now I feel a lot worse. No, but that's not my goal. My goal is I'm going to strive with all of His energy that's working with me. I don't want God to grade me on, grade me on a curve. And by the way, whether I wanted it or not, He's not going to grade me on a curve. Amen. That's an insult to what Jesus Christ did. It's an insult for us to think that we're going to have some extra dispensation of something that helps us because what Jesus did and what His Spirit is working in us and because His Word has given us, that's just not quite enough. So we need an extra bonus. That's the hyper-grace silliness. God's grace teaches us to do what? To say no to ungodliness. That is His grace. He gives you the power to conquer sin. That's grace. Not, oops, I messed up again. You're going to make it okay? Or you become like Samson who just thinks that at any point you can just shake yourself and there's the strength that's going to come. I can mess up as many times as I want. I can put my head in the wrong lap and I'll just wake up and I'll shake myself and it'll all be okay again. Because, hey, nobody's perfect. That's a damnable way to think. That is not fitting for a child of God to think that way. Ever. And if you are in here and you're thinking that this is not to you, then you've missed the whole point. This is to each of us. Nobody's perfect is an absolute lie. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let's look at verse 11. Romans 6, 11. <laughs> for us to achieve the perfection that God has for us, we have to labor with all of His strength. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Who is He speaking to here? Believers or non-believers? Oh, okay. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's us 
striving with all of His energy that's at work in us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. The way that you become imperfect, the way that you sin, is you literally offer yourself to it. We walk away from who God is so that we can sin. Do not walk away from Him in any part. This is what this is telling us. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. This is not talking about your initial salvation part, experience. This is speaking to the believers still. And those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Is that a, is that a question? Is, is there any room for interpreting this other than exactly what it says? For sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under this penalty of law, but you are under grace, which gives you the power to say no to sin and to ungodliness. He's given you what you've needed, what you need. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Um, let's start in verse let's start in verse 4 Revelation 1 4 John to the seven churches in the province of Asia grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who, look at these next three things, who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. If the Lord has loved us, he's freed us, and he has now made us into be the ones who represent him directly, a kingdom and a priest. That is us pressing in to be bound to this yoke about His blood. This is us pressing into it because He's made us something. He has changed who we are. We cannot walk any other way. He has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Turn to Revelation 2. Verse 7. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Does that sound like that's a nobody's perfect mentality? To him who overcomes, what happens? I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Look at verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Look at verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to different churches, and each of these things is what? It's to you who overcome. (laughs) He's saying, you walk in perfection with me. You walk perfection the way I tell you to walk. 
Turn to verse uh, 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And on and on it goes with each of the churches. Turn to Romans chapter 8. You know what Revelation does for me? Pastor Eric did this uh, a message a few weeks ago. I want to win. You guys remember that one? I hope you I hope you do. If you can't remember it, then that's what you should be listening to tomorrow. Um, speaking of not having a different standard for the pastors and for everyone else, you've heard me say it. If you can't remember some of the things that when, when Pastor Eric or Pastor Matt or I reference it, go listen to it. I actually don't feel, I, I, I don't look down on you if you don't remember what we're talking about. I do question your work ethic if we keep talking about some of the same sermons and you're not quite sure about what we're talking about and you never just go listen to them. One is, okay, there's been a lot. We, Pastor, we get a lot of teaching. We do. So you know what I do every week? I go back and listen. Amen. I've li- listened to Grapes of Wrath a couple of times already. I've listened to Two Servants and a Son already. I've listened, I go back and listen to him again. You know why? Because I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Maybe I got so excited about one point that I started making notes and I missed the next point a little bit. I'm just going to go back and be serious about this. Pastor Eric had a sermon a few weeks ago. I want to win. Do you want to win? The Lord is doing something important in this church right now. This is an important season. We're going through difficulties. We're going through change. We're going through... He is prepping us. He is setting the standard. Feels like even higher, but I know that he's just got one standard. And he's saying, this is, you've still got to come up to it. You still haven't come up to it yet. Oh, Lord, I'm going to labor with all of your strength that's working in me. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to get discouraged and stop. If you're showing us that we're not yet there as a body, you know what we need to do? Woo, come on, let's press in. It's sad when, when, when athletics in our society is the best example that we can think of of somebody pressing in. That's terrible. It should be the body of Christ that say, you know what it's like for me to press in? Man, you've got to go look at those church people over there. Is that what you think of when you think of people who know how to press in? I do, because I see you. Let's, let's learn to press in more so that we can be victorious, so that we can win, so that not one of us in this room will be conquered by sin, that will be conquered by the things that we can't let go of. We've got to continue on. Romans 8. Look in verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Everybody say obligation. Obligation. Uh, Romans 8, 12. I'm sorry. I may have said revelation. It's not unusual. There we go. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. You know what that word is? We have a debt. We owe a debt. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Uh, Again, folks, if everything that we look at in the Bible we make about believers and non-believers, it excuses us from the level that we're supposed to live at. 
if you're looking at being the parables and you're thinking that it's believers and non-believers versus believers and believers, you miss a real depth that the Scripture has to offer. If you look at this and you want to make it us and them, folks, you can't have a double standard. There's not even a double standard for Christian and non-Christian. It's a single standard. They're the ones who have a hope to live up to it or the Christians who are really pressing into it. There's only one standard. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. That's for us. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Everybody look at me for just a second. Part of my prayer for you tonight is that you will not have a fear about actually running after his perfection. Fear has this incredible ability to make you an absolute slave to it. We're a slave to whatever masters us, right? Whatever sin, if you are conquered by sin, you know what happens? You become a slave to that sin. If you have fear that's constantly working in your life and every decision you make is based because you're afraid that something bad is going to happen, you are a slave to fear. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that right, Justin? When God testifies about you being a child of God, you can hear all the preaching in the world. But it's a glorious day when He testifies, isn't it? Amen. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also Share in his glory. Guys, uh, if you could put verse 12 back up on the screen, Susan. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to live a perfect life. I will not plan on sinning. I will not allow myself the excuse that says, well, nobody's perfect. I will stand in righteousness. I will do what I'm supposed to do. And if I walk away from his power and sin, I will repent. I will turn from my evilness and I will walk back to him so that I do not have this obligation and this debt laying on me. That's the only way that we're supposed to live. That's it. Would you guys stand with me?